0: Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Kayla Fratt of
1: Journey Dog Training in Missoula, Montana. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to be discussing creative ways to split steps in your dog training plans. So a good dog trainer and behavior consultant knows that taking your time and moving at the pace of the animal is the best way to go. It ensures success in the learning process. So an example of splitting would include that you're practicing your recall behavior in a field near your house without distractions. Your dog is on a long line and you just finished your do- calling your dog to you five times in a row from about five feet away. Um, you've gotten really excited about your success and allow your dog to use more of the long line. So now your dog is about 15 feet away from you. You try calling your dog, and she ignores you the first two times that you call. This is your choice point. You could either, A, continue calling your dog and get more and more more frustrated, possibly poisoning the cue as you call your dog over and over again. Or you can choose option B and create a step between a 5-foot recall and a 15-foot recall, probably a 10-foot recall. My vote, and Marissa's vote as well, would be for option B because it sets everyone up for success. So this is an example of splitting your difficulty and making things easier for your dog by moving a little bit closer.
0: So when we jump from one grade level to another, so I usually use school grades to – talk about this example with my clients. So I say when we're jumping from kindergarten to high school or from middle school to PhD level, we call that lumping. And this is something that we do often. Um, and this can be really hard for our dogs because remember, we know what is on the learning agenda. We know the curriculum. They do not. So it's up to us to make sure that we make the training process and the learning process as errorless as possible so that everyone is having fun and getting things correct. So a real life example of lumping that many pet parents do by accident is that they teach their dog how to do something in their house. Let's say they teach their dog to do touch or sit or down, or even maybe stay a little bit more of a complex behavior. And then they move that behavior straight to a very high level distraction environment, such as the farmer's market or the brewery or off leash in the dog park or on a brand new trail. So this is very common that pet parents just make the assumption that, oh, well my dog knows how to do this behavior in this environment, so why don't they know how to do this behavior in another environment? And so it's an easy mistake to make and we see it happen all the time. And unfortunately the relationship between the dog and the pet parent suffers because the the pet parent gets really frustrated and doesn't understand why this behavior is not taking place in a new location. So today, This was actually a request from one of our listeners. Um, We're going to be giving you some options in how to prevent this. Um, And so we're going to be talking about a lot of things to consider when setting up your training plan so that both you and your dog are successful. So the first one that we want to talk about is warming your dog up and why this is really important. So When we say warming your dog up, what we mean by that is practicing easy behaviors that your dog is already somewhat fluent in. If your dog is fluent in this behavior, meaning that they offer it throughout the day, If you're going to set up a training session, you might want to start with those behaviors to get your dog engaged in the learning process and to sort of gather whether or not they want to start the learning process with you. And this is also a great way so that the dog receives some fast and easy reinforcement for what we call sort of inexpensive or easier behaviors for them to do before you start making the training process a little bit harder. Another reason why we like warming the dog up, especially if you're outside training, is that you're beginning a conversation between you and your dog. So I I talk to my clients about this a lot. um, And usually how pet parents engage with their animals is pretty reactive. So they're not necessarily proactively training or communicating with their dogs. They are only asking the dog to leave it after the dog has maybe started lunging at the stray cat, or they have only um, asked their dogs to stop barking when the dog starts barking, right? So in what I'm saying, have a conversation with your dog, I'm talking about, you know, capturing good choices that the dog is already making proactively versus reactively. And this happened yesterday when I was with my, my client, we were, it was the first training session. We were outside. um, and we were, we were working on some focus on the handler and it was really great because we had been warming the dog up for like, let's say five to 10 minutes where the dog was focusing on the handler, she was having a a, a lot of fun getting really easy behaviors correct, that by the time a distraction walked by, she barely noticed it because we had already been engaging in a dialogue. So now that your dog is warmed up and you're engaging in a conversation with the dog, you can start to think about adding in variables. And we're going to talk about a variety of different types of variables and how to make things. Um, easy for your dog to be successful, and again, this is where we tend to lump. So the example that Kayla gave earlier about the recall is that we jump from you know kindergarten or or preschool learning all the way to PhD, and so we're going to talk to you today about how to not do that. But some of the things that we are want you to consider when you're adding in variables is um, what can you control. So if You know, for example, you want to train a recall away from wildlife. You can't necessarily control wildlife. You can potentially control your distance away from wildlife if you know that deer always come to this particular area or this particular open space. Like We have an area that I know of uh, in Boulder that there are usually deer there. And so we try to be very, very far away when we're working on focus on the handler first. So choose what you can control. And then we wanna prioritize distractions. So um, if your dog doesn't care about bikers, then maybe we don't put that into the training plan, but let's say he or she cares about dogs, like we're definitely gonna prioritize working or teaching that behavior in the presence of other dogs, but we're gonna do it in a slow, systematic way so that the dog is successful. And we'll we'll give you some examples shortly. And speaking of slow and systematic, we really want to be able to provide your dog with a lot of easy wins throughout the learning process. So we want to make this as errorless as possible to keep the frustration levels down for both you and the dog. Because remember, like we said earlier, we know what we want the dog to do. They do not. And they're just guessing. And so we want to make that process really easy for them so that they stay connected and that they learn what we're Wanting them to learn, and that this is a fun process for everyone. So, Kayla's gonna dive in and talk to us about our first variable.
1: Yeah, so one of the first variables, and I don't know if this is, this is not really in order of um, importance or what we work on first. So we're going to start with location, and you know, as we just said, that doesn't necessarily mean that location is the most important factor in um, teaching your dog a new skill. Um, As we just said, we often are prioritizing distractions or what we think is going to be most important for the dog. Um, But location is often an easy one to start mixing in, and it's something that we've got to consider. So say, for example, you've got a dog who... um, barks and lunges at other dogs. So a dog that we'd call reactive, you might start teaching those basic skills of, Hey, look at me. Hey, eat some treats on the ground. Um, sit down, stand, whatever inside the house. And then try in various rooms of your house. If you're anything like me, you often train in the same room. Um, and that picture is going to change for your dog, even in different rooms, you know, try, uh, yeah, try training in, in the bathroom or anything like that. A lot of times our dogs get really thrown off by that because, you know, the, in their experience, they only get trained in the kitchen at 5.30 when you're wearing your treat pouch. And we need to start changing that picture so they understand that um, this this applies no matter where we are. So various rooms of the house. Um, if you've got a garage, you can do training in your garage. Um, you can try training in your garage with the door slightly cracked. So, for some dogs that are highly um, reactive and sensitive to their outdoor environment, just having the garage door cracked or your patio door slid open a little bit or your screen door open, anything like that, that's going to start making things challenging for them. Um, and then, you know, at some point, we want to start transitioning to being fully outdoors. So, that mean, might mean having your garage door open, but actually being in the back of the garage or having your patio open, but being, um, you know, on the opposite side of the breakfast bar from the patio. And then you might start going outside for just a couple seconds, doing like a couple really rapid fire, super easy training things, and then moving back indoors again. So there, you know, we're adding in the outdoors in very short um, spurts time-wise. And then you can change the location. So once your dog is somewhat comfortable outdoors, you might try in the backyard versus the front yard. You can try at different times of day, you know, quiet times versus busy times, different um Different neighborhoods for barley. um, If we try and go close or to the park where we play our play a lot of fetch, um, it starts getting harder and harder for him. Um, You know, large fields without distractions versus large fields with distractions. Um, I used to take barley to a park, um, and barley is totally ball crazy, right? Um, And we would go to this park where there were a lot of kids playing basketball in one corner, and we would practice recall and obedience, um, moving gradually closer to the kids playing basketball um, as a really good distraction because I knew that the kids were going to stay in the court, so I could actually control how far away I was from them um, really easily. And then using those visual barriers outside. So if you're kind of outdoors working on a skill in an area and all of a sudden it gets too difficult for your dog and you're starting to see them not respond to you as well or they're getting a little tense, you can use these visual barriers like ducking behind parallel parked cars or trees or hedges um, to try to give your dog a little bit of relief. And um, you know, one of the tough things with location is there are definitely going to be times where you just need to get up and get out of Dodge. Um, and. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just can't control what's going on. Um, I know I've had times, or I have a client. Um, this is a really uh, strong example of this, but they were they were out with their dog, um, and they were actually weren't training. But say that they had been, um, they were out in a park. And a Civil War reenactment started happening with cannonballs going off. Oh my that gosh, is not the time to be like, oh, interesting. <laughs> let's let's teach our dog to how to be around cannonballs. Most of our dogs are not. That's just too much. And mm-hmm. she did the right thing. She got out of Dodge. You know, she collected the dog. They got back to the car as fast as they possibly could because cannonballs going off and a Civil War reenactment is just too much. And, you know, this is the reality we can't always control when those things are going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add for location, Marissa?
0: Yeah, I wanted to just say two things. So um, the different neighborhoods, I have found that that has been really helpful for um, dogs that are barking and lunging or uh, the label we use reactive to the sight of either people or other dogs or of specific you know, corner fences where they've been charged by other dogs before. So sometimes if you have the capability of driving your dog to another neighborhood that you do not have Like the the dog doesn't have any associations. He doesn't have a learning history in that neighborhood. Sometimes I've had clients that have really, really strong reactive dogs go to a different neighborhood because the dog can actually learn the skills there. Because again, they're not, they don't have those negative associations Mm -hmm. already, uh, cemented. And so we had to do that, um, with several of my clients and, and some of the neighborhoods we have chosen have larger space and, Um, you know, we, we know where those dogs are behind the fences. So that has really helped our training plan as well. Um, the other thing we wanted to, I wanted to say about location is if you, if you live in a city like where, where, where Kayla and I live right now, we have a lot of open space. Would you agree with that? yeah i would like like you have yeah. a ton of space in montana i mean in 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 boulder and the surrounding areas we have a lot of space and that's really good for these reactive dog clients but for the for the folks that live in in the city um i hope that you're hearing some of the amazing points kayla made earlier about how to bring in the outdoors in a way that feels short and sweet and you have some control over it um a few examples that I have done when I lived in Denver is practicing some of this, uh, some of these leash skills, maybe in um, a hallway in your apartment building, or we have chosen to go outside during off hours, like Kayla mentioned, or maybe we went in, in the gym of the apartment building, or, you know, we, we went down the hallway a bit and then popped right back into the apartment. So there are ways to be creative about it. And I know that everybody gets really hung up on, well, I have to walk my dog. You do have to give your dog exercise, but remember that training is mental stimulation and the less stressed they are and the more learning, that's probably the healthier approach to mm-hmm. providing your dog some of that mental and physical outlet. So just, just, a, a you know, some, some support for our folks that live in congested areas. We know that this can be really hard. And like Kayla said, sometimes that you, you do just need to sort of push through it and get out of
1: Dodge. So, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about duration, Marissa. Okay. So I'd love to know your thoughts about
0: this, Kayla, because I keep hearing, and it makes sense to me, but I keep hearing that, you know, if you're going to build duration in a particular behavior, um, the most common behavior is like relax on a mat or stay or wait. Like it's, you know, it's an elongated behavior that we're asking for our dogs, or it could even be like an elongated check-in, like look at me for this amount of time. I hear that folks would, would prefer you like build duration, like build that behavior, make it, you know, really, uh, solid in how long the animal's performing the behavior and make it really fluent in that variable before you add in distractions and before you add in distance away from you or away from a distraction.
1: So would you agree with that? I would say within reason. Yeah. Um, because Mm -hmm. if my dog can't, hold a sit for yeah. five seconds, there's no way I'm going to be able to get three steps away from him mm-hmm. to teach him that that distance is a variable that he can ignore. Yep. Um, you know, if my dog can't hold a stay for at least 30 seconds, I probably can't have them stay while another dog walks past to add totally. in a distraction. Um. Does my dog need a 30-minute downstay in order to do any of these things? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe at really high levels of specific things, maybe, but I ooh, I've never had to do that. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I I do think you do need some amount of duration in order to be able to add in everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: It sounds like we agree with that and this is part of the reason why i put this a little bit higher on the variables list just because if you are building duration um you know if if you're needing to build duration in that particular behavior you want to think about that sooner rather than later Um, some people do one second click and treat two second click and treat three second click and treat and to me that feels like a little bit of a pressure cooker for the dog and so I like to sort of, you know, tell my clients to go back and forth, like make it easy, make it a little harder, make it a little easier, make it a little easier and then go harder again. Right. So it's not just one, two, three, four, five, six, because you're ultimately just, you're consistently pushing how much harder it is each repetition. And I don't love that. And this is part of the reason why I love, um, the relaxation protocol is because it vacillates; it goes back and forth between like a longer downstay, a shorter downstay, like a really long downstay, a very easy one, right? So it just it it has that that um it has that already built into the plan, and that's why I think my clients really like it because they can just look at the plan and do it. But I also really like it because the the client isn't doing stay and then they're you know taking like forty
1: steps back and the dog pops up, right? So right. how do you usually add in duration? I really like using things similar to, yeah, that Karen overall relaxation protocol. Um, And yeah, I think it's definitely important to kind of ping pong back and forth. Um, One of the things I'm always thinking about, too, if I'm really focusing on duration for a given session, Mm -hmm. um, is my training session might end up getting a little bit longer than it normally would be if we were adding in distractions. Um, I actually just had someone comment on a YouTube video where I was doing um, the first day of mat training with a new dog. And the person commented like, 11 minutes, isn't that a little bit long for kind of a green dog? And they had a good point. Um, To Mm -hmm. be fair, it was actually a minute of me talking, nine minutes of training, and then a minute of me talking again. But still, nine minutes is a decently long training session. And my response was um, that because we were really working on duration, by necessity, that means the session is going to have to be longer Mm -hmm. um, because... We're trying to If we're doing multiple <laughs> repetitions of 30 seconds, it's going to be a long training session. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and especially if you start getting up to trying to do, you know, and I wouldn't do multiple repetitions of a 10 minute downstay in a row. Yeah. Um, but it, do, it does have to get longer. And my goal with that training session is to um, make it easy still. So I was really watching the dog and I would have ended it if I felt like she needed to stop. But we also were working on a really inexpensive behavior, which is we were closed in a very boring, quiet room, and I was just asking her to lie still. Um, so yes, it was kind of a long session, but hopefully that's because it was really, really easy. Yeah. She didn't really have anything else to do. Um, does that make sense, team Marissa? <laughs> yeah. And
0: it, you know, it brings up a point that we were talking about before we hopped on this podcast was really about you're going to lump right? Like, like we get reinforced for lumping things together and moving faster than the animal because an animal gets it. I'm not saying you were lumping Kayla, but so one might say you were right because we all mm-hmm. have a variety of different opinions and we all could, I mean, that's the beauty and the curse. You, can always, sometimes. Smaller. you can always do something very different. Right. Um, and you can always split smaller, right. It, it's, it would be the more conservative way. Not all of our pet parents are like super interested in, in, ha moving super slow and having everything split into these little, little bits. Um, we have a tendency to lump and to be a little bit pushy. Um, but I think it's so important that if you you're lumping and it's not going well, it sounds like that training session with that dog went well. Right. And, and so if it's not going well, that's when you have to take a step back, not blame the dog and say, Oh wow, I might be doing too many things at once. How can I make this easier for the dog? Right. I mean, so again, not to say that you were lumping, I haven't seen the video, but it is just a very common thing that we do, that we, that we all have a different comfort level in terms of when we would push, why we would push, how we would push. Improve your dog's behavior, deepen your connection, and build a lasting relationship with your canine and loved ones today. Hey guys, it's Marissa Martino from Pause and Reward, and I am really excited to be offering my master course, Building Better Behavior and Relationships, Connect with Your Dog, Yourself, and Others. The cart is open right now, and the last day to purchase is this Friday, April 24th. Due to the challenging times we're all in, I'm offering this course at a discounted rate. So please head over to my website, pauseandreward.com, for more information and begin your online educational journey today.
1: Yeah, and that the point of that video, um, quite a bit of it, was me talking about why I was making the decision I was making at that time and w- why I was pushing and why I was not pushing mm. at times. Um, and, yeah, that dog has a very long formal downstay trained on her. Um, and I was trying to transition her over to more of a relaxed on-your-mat sort of behavior. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, if you watch the video, I don't think – I mean, I'm sure – again, I'm sure I was lumping to a degree because you always are. Um, but my rate of reinforcement was still very, very high. Um, and, yeah, the the dog um, – she's a weird dog. So we're going to link to this video. Um this dog is a very strange dog. She's got a lot of emotional baggage. So her tail is actually tucked pretty much 90% of her life. Um, <laughs> so she looks really stressed, but I promise mm-hmm. you she looks like that all the time. I know this dog very well. Um, and, you know, so just keep all of that in mind. And I think one of the things, you know, just kind of shifting back to this kind of lumping versus splitting conversation that we have we were just having, um, I do think it's also important to keep in mind that a lot of times we can lump and we can push our dogs a little mm-hmm. bit and we can get away with you know just training in our house and the training room and you know the the obedience uh, club or wherever and then going out to the farmer's market and a lot of dogs do kind of muddle their way through and they do kind of figure out what we're asking them it's amazing, uh, it's, amazing. <laughs> it's amazing um but <laughs> some dogs don't. And that's yeah. where we have to start yeah. getting really really granular. I think generally I start getting really granular about this sort of thing when either a my normal approaches are just not working. You know, mm-hmm. the normal things where I'm like, okay, I've trained 70 dogs to do this behavior or 700 dogs, probably 70. Um and this one is different. That's why I'm going to start splitting or Um, You know, like with my agility behaviors with Barley, where I'm like, at some point, ideally, someone is going to be grading me on this, and it's going to be a competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You know, because most of the time, dog training is not a competition, at least in the world that you and I are in. Most of the time, it doesn't matter if the dog is lying down on his right hip versus left hip versus in a Sphinx down. Mm -hmm. but. If you really want your dog to be lying in a sphinx down at perfectly perpendicular to you, facing you, can't be 15 degrees off in either direction because you want to be doing competitive obedience, then yes, you need to split very finely for that. Um... So, it just that sounds you know, stressful um, to me, it does, which is I, why I
0: don't do <laughs> competition sports,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean i there's a reason that I really like agility, and I'm not sure if I'll ever be someone who's like super into obedience. I mean, never say never, um but uh, yeah, that level of precision is hard for me, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think generally, we need to get really good about splitting. Uh, for kind of one of three reasons, I would say either because we're you know working towards really high precision competitive or high consequence behaviors, we have a really tough dog, or eh, potentially you're just lumping really badly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and you it's know? Just not fun for you two. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I mean, because no again, warning. we're always lumping. We're, uh, there's always a way to split something a little bit finer. Hannah Branigan is the queen of this. I've watched videos where she's clicking her dog for tensing his toenails yeah, because amazing. she wants to teach him to dig his toenails in to use his core to stand up. You can always get finer. She's also working on really high level competitive obedience stuff, Um but when we say that you can always split a little bit more, I would say that for the average owner, a lot of times they need to split just because they're lumping way too much. Yeah.
0: Um, like the example f- we used in the beginning, right? It's like, yeah. oh, well, my dog knows how to lie down in my living room. Why does not he not doing it at the brewery? He's <laughs> right? yeah. like, that yeah, is a very it, common Because nothing thing. is different or <laughs> yeah. nothing is the
1: same in between those two pictures. Totally. Um, and, and I mean, the example we used of recall is actually kind of a bad example um, of to, I mean, it's a good example to show that you might have to get finer but it's not a great example of, to be honest, what I see a lot of times where people mm-hmm. practice recall inside their apartment and then they go to the dog park and their dog doesn't listen to them and it's like of course he doesn't listen to you Yeah, totally. Um, you know, 5 feet versus 15 feet, I would say a lot of dogs can actually probably make that leap um, mm-hmm. so that is an example where a lot of dogs probably can handle that amount of lumping, not all of them um, and, you know, it, behavior is always the study of one. You're always just going to have to be adjusting to the dog that's in front of you yeah. and how that dog is showing up to training that day. Because um, you don't know if they've got an upset yeah, stomach point. or they slept poorly or their hip is a little sore or they're just tired because the cat was doing what, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not just the individual dog. It's that dog that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about distractions. Um, I think it's my turn to go, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, so distractions. There are always going to be distractions that we're adding for our dogs. Um, and I like to start adding in distractions right away. Um, so I will often start as I'm teaching my dog a new skill. Barley and I were working on a, um, an agility start line stay last night in my apartment. So I'm putting him in a stay, and then I'm tossing a toy away from him, and then I'm releasing him to it. Um, and we did that you know, two or three times, and then we started adding in the distraction of me walking towards the toy. And then we added the distraction of me spinning towards the toy, and then mm-hmm. me jumping towards the toy, and then me dropping some food along the way on the way to the toy, um, and adding in all of these different distractions before we start taking it to a new location. So this afternoon. I'm probably going to take him out front of my apartment building to do the same um, the same sequence sequence over and over. And we're going to practice that a couple times in the new location. Then we're going to do it a couple times in the new location with the distractions. And then we're going to do it in the new location without distractions, but with more distance um, because right now in my apartment, I can only get the toy about 10 feet away from barley. And ultimately, I'd like to be able to throw the toy you know 50 feet away and have mm-hmm. him go to it. So this is a good example of splitting because we can see I'm adding in the distractions in one location. I'm going to a second location and removing as many of the distractions as I can. Yeah, why are you add- doing that, Kayla? Because when I, cha- when I add in that new location, there are going mm-hmm. to be new distractions inherent to that location. Yep. So I can control whether or not I spin as I release him yeah <laughs> I look really funny um, so that's always great for my neighbors um, but I <laughs> we need a video of this one <laughs> yeah but I can't control whether or not a bird flies by at that moment so I'm not going to add in the distractions I can control until he's already successful with the ones that I can't control great. And if we go outside and it totally blows up in my face and he can't do it then I'll take him back into my apartment and add in more difficult distractions mm-hmm. in my apartment or maybe we practice in, um, in the hallway Or we practice later at night when nothing is going on or earlier in the morning when nothing is happening, um, a slightly different location, blah, blah, blah. There are a ton of different ways, but I'm I'm modulating these different things, so I only want to work on one factor at a time. So if I'm adding in the distractions of being outdoors – I'm going to remove the distractions that I was artificially adding. And I'm not going to increase distance between Barley and his toy until he's successful with those distractions. And I'm going to then decrease the distractions as much as I can while I increase distance, and so on and so forth. There's a lot to think about. And there are a lot of different factors when you want many of these factors to be at a high level for the same behavior. So some different distractions that you can think about. Um, one of the first ones that I like adding in is my movement and what I'm doing. I really like Barley to be able to hear what I'm saying and comply, regardless of what my body is doing. And that's because we do so much off-leash stuff um, where he might not necessarily be able to see me or in agility. I want him to be able to understand that if I say tunnel, I mean tunnel, even if (laughs) I'm not looking at the tunnel at that moment, Um, although... I should be um, to help him out. (laughs) That might be a bad example. But I want the words to mean as much as possible because I'm likely to get the words right. And even if my body is doing something else, I want him to listen to the words. So I add in movement where you know we just practice sit down, stand repetitions while I walk in place or while I walk in circles or while I'm looking away from him. A lot of dogs, if you just turn and face a wall and ask them to sit, they can't do it. So that's a really easy one you can add in right away. Then you can add in another person. You know, maybe someone's in the kitchen cooking breakfast. Well, that would be two distractions because that's also food, right? Um, Maybe someone's sitting on the chair reading a book while you're training your dog. And then, yeah, ultimately maybe someone's cooking breakfast, which is a pretty big distraction to ignore. Multiple people, groups of people are often harder for a dog than a single person. Um, Are those people talking to the dog and engaging with the dog? It is much harder for your dog to ignore someone who's saying, Hi puppy, aren't you cute? Than um, people who are ignoring them and reading a book. Another dog is that dog fifty feet away? Is that dog playing with a frisbee? Is that dog lying down and sleeping? Is that dog just moving past and ignoring? Um, There are all sorts of different factors with the dog. Is the dog large? Is it small? Does it have pointy ears? Is it all black? Does it have a curly tail? Does it have no tail? Is the dog playing? Are there multiple dogs? Um, I think one of the things that you know I'm trying to illustrate here is it's not the same thing to say, "Oh yeah, my dog has done this training around." people or around other dogs, we need to actually a lot of times really think hard about what that means. So I know Barley tends to work really, really well around most medium to large-ish dogs, um, especially if they're ignoring him. But you Mm -hmm. add in another dog playing fetch, and all of a sudden that is way, way, way hard for him. He also has a really hard time with giant breed dogs. Um, Same with Sully. Yeah. Um, which is something I've learned recently. Um, we've got two Irish wolfhounds in my apartment complex. Oh my
0: gosh. I'm jealous.
1: Yeah. They're awesome. They're so beautiful, I but I have to avoid breed. them because Barley is, scared. he's really scared of them. They really Aww. make him nervous. Well, they're like.
0: They're, fluffy
1: dinosaurs. They're, yeah. they're like
0: really, um, really prehistoric looking. I so, think. you know,
1: as much as possible, keep those things in mind and remember that just because your dog can ignore the neighbor's uh, geriatric pug doesn't mean that he's going to be okay with all <laughs> yeah. other dogs um, and ignoring them. And yes. again, that's kind of an extreme example. Um, I know a lot of other do- a lot of dogs also, you know, might have different associations with a dog with different coat or tail or ear um, configurations. So that's something to keep in mind that, or, you know, is that dog intact? And you might not know. But if an intact female dog walked by five minutes ago and you're trying to train your dog, your male dog outdoors and he's just totally not paying attention, yeah. uh, you might have no idea. But there's a very legitimate reason for your dog to be totally unable to listen to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just had an experience where I was—I had a dog over the weekend um, who was an intact male, um, and. Barley was a wreck. I mean, I'm using a lot of labels here in very uh, casual language, but Barley was following this dog around and curling his lips at him for everything this dog was doing. He was really being the fun police in a way that is not normal for him. Um, and we brought home a different dog instead a couple days later um, to foster um and Barley was totally fine with that dog. They were playing tug-of-war and wrestling and cuddling within an hour. Um, so, you know, in that case, that dog was intact. So I can kind of say why. Um, I would assume that's the problem. Um, but sometimes you're just not going to know. So, mm-hmm. And that's, that's okay. We, we don't live in that same olfactory world as our dogs. And I would say most of the time there's probably a reason that we just can't smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so other distractions moving past dogs. Um, toys. And are those toys just sitting away? Are they your dog's favorite toy or not? Or are those toys bouncing? You know, mm-hmm. can Barley listen to obedience cues while I toss a ball from one hand to the other? No, he cannot mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> uh, um can Sully? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's it's just lower value to him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Barley cannot – he he can listen if I can drop chicken in a circle around him, and he will listen to me. Yeah. Um, you know, nice, hot, stinky chicken that was just cooked. Um, but he, I have a, one of those really nice Herta training vests, um, mm-hmm. and it's got a clip on it that you can clip like a ball on a string to. Mm-hmm. I can't use it um, yet because Barley cannot – he goes into this really weird kind of like attempted healing position sort of thing because he's trying to be as close as possible and give me constant attention to try to give get me to give him a ball. Which is yeah. what if, if that's what I was trying to train, that would be great. But a lot of times that's not what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. So toys. Um, keeping in mind that different toys are gonna be different in excitement level for different dogs. Um, food. I do a lot of just adding, you know, a little casual pile of medium medium value of food, you know, like applesauce or something um, in the room on the ground while you're doing training and then gradually increasing the value of that food while you do training to just continue teaching your dog to ignore that. Um, and then wildlife. And, you know, wildlife is hard because you can't control it. One of the things I do find is if in general you do a ton of distraction training with other Fast-moving, distracting sorts of things like bikes and other dogs and toys and food. A lot of times that transfers over to wildlife to a degree, depending on your dog, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times if you do a lot of distraction work, your dog will be somewhat prepared for the things that you can't control. With wildlife, um, I also will do work with, um, you know, toys or flirt poles or other things mm-hmm. that kind of get a similar brain space activated for most dogs um, and try to teach them to listen to me around things that are similar-ish to wildlife. Um, it's not perfect, but again, yeah. I can't control when the elk show up. If I could, um, I would make a lot more money as a hunting guide, um, probably. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um so yeah, there's there's a ton to think about with distractions and different things are going to be distracting to different dogs. Um you know, some dogs really just can't care less about some things and other dogs, you know, if you walk if they walk in and there's an Amazon box in the center of your house, that is a uh, earth-shattering development for them. Um so you're going to have to be more or less careful with this. Um and focus on different things based on your priorities. So again, like I live in Montana, for me wildlife is a huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. because we have grizzly bears and black bears and elk and moose and lots of other animals that if my dog thought they would be fun to chase, um, I would not have a dog anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and versus when I was in Denver, I cared a lot more about skateboards. Mm-hmm. Totally. I have not had to think about a skateboard for my dog for a long time. So, you know, they're just going to be different priorities. Do you have anything to add on distractions, Marissa?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to reiterate that priority, comment just because, I mean, we understand that pet parents did not adopt or get dogs to be dog trainers, right? So it's like the easiest way that we could make this and make this make this plan specific and custom to your life and what you need and the distractions that show up. So I guess I wanna invite people to, especially with the wildlife piece, that like there, there's a trail we go to every day that like sometimes there's cows right at, at the fence and sometimes there's not. And you better believe I've got Sully on leash probably 200 feet before the cows even appear in the environment so that I, I can manage and work with him on leash does he prefer to be unleashed at that time? Probably not. Like if I were to ask him, probably not, but I try to make it worth his while the best I can, because I want to keep him safe. And I also don't want to just push the envelope considering that I know that, you know, maybe two times out of 10, he might charge the cows. And it's like, what's your plan, dude? You're, you're a dog. There's like 20 cows right there. Like we don't need you charging the cows or charging the moose or whatever. I mean, he does not think these things through. So for me, I'm, I'm constantly being aware of my surroundings and putting him on leash when I need to. And choosing trails I know well if I'm going to have him off-leash so that I can be prepared for that. Yeah, well, it sounds trail. like you're
1: doing a very good job of being proactive as well. Yes. You're not yes. waiting for him to make the wrong choice and then freaking out at him totally. for totally. making a mistake. And I, you know, and I will say I have a border collie, and I really prioritize off-leash stuff. Mm-hmm. There are you You can sure bet that there are still times where I put him on leash. Um, Mm -hmm. to move through stuff too. Cause yeah, there are just times where, you know, and even if it's just sometimes like, I'll just get a weird feeling. I'm still getting to know a lot of the trails in Montana. Um, and I'll be moving through like thick willows in, um, in a wetland. And it's just like, ooh, this is grizzly bear habitat. Like, I'm putting the dog yes, on leash. Yeah. Um, so Where you're like, I just feel weird. Like, that's
0: happened to me before. I'm like, I yeah. feel weird. I'm putting him on leash. And sure enough, it was like tons yeah. of milk.
1: And I'm like, okay, this... Yeah, this yeah. Because Barley gut. and I have run into black bears before. Um, and he has generally been okay with them. But... Wow. You know, it, it, it we were at a good distance. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I just and i've always been able to call him off wildlife he's got i um, mean it's one of the things i'm most proud of with him he took off after a snowshoe hare like 2 weeks ago and mm-hmm. got like 3 steps before he came back to me wow it's amazing like i'm i'm so so proud of his off leash recall around wildlife and mm-hmm. i don't worry about it with small game animals but i live in a place where you you bet your bottom dollar that i yeah. worry about it with grizzlies <laughs> because it it doesn't matter that i think he's at 99% um, that 1% is still too big of a risk totally. in certain areas. And, you know, same goes if you're in an area, even with, you know, elk or moose, black bear are all across the lower, uh, well, I mean, yeah, 49 of the 50 states. Um, yeah, You know, odds are if you're out in nature, there's something around you that you need to be able to call your dog away from. And there's no shame in using a long line or, yes. dare I say it, a flexi lead. Mm -hmm. um, to keep you and your dog safe. If you just, you know, you've got a weird feeling about an area or, you know, your dog is still in training. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for making that point. You can, you can manage it. Being off leash doesn't need to, to mean being off leash the entire trail, right? Like it totally doesn't. And I think people are like unclipped done, and, and then they don't really check in. Remember we were talking about that, that having that conversation throughout if you, if you are conversing with your dog throughout the likelihood of them actually checking in with you later is going to be really high. So just stay connected with them for those harder distractions for sure. So our last variable is distance. So when I say distance, I'm meaning it in two ways. So the first way is distance away from you. So, um, you know, Sully is 40 feet away from me and I'm calling him to come, or I've asked Sully to downstay and then I move 40 feet away from him. So it's the distance between me and the dog. I'm also talking about distance is how close is the dog to a distraction? And then how far away am I from the dog? So, um, sometimes, you know, If you can control the distraction, this is not necessarily a problem, but let's say you are um, the dog is 20 feet away from you and he's just sort of looking in another direction. Maybe air scenting or something casually, and you call him to come That is a different twenty foot recall than the dog is twenty feet away from you and has just found like a dead fish, which has actually happened yesterday with like there's a dead fish at a reservoir, and like it really, really gross, and Sully was just losing his his little mind over that and I'm 20 feet away and Sully is up close and personal. There's actually no distance between his nose and that fish that to me feels like a harder recall because he he's further is the same amount of distance away from me, but the distraction level is really high there. So I want, um, I usually point this out to some of my clients because what happens is they're like, well, we're doing really good at 20 feet. And then all of a sudden yesterday we were at 20 feet and the dog was like playing with another dog. It's like, well, that's a different thing because the distraction is part of that distance in that situation. So, um, I try to build this, some of the distractions in like Kayla was saying sooner rather than later, especially with recall so that it's not just, it's not just the dog is sitting at 20 feet away and looking at you and then you call him to come like that doesn't, that is an easy way to start, but we want to start adding in some of some of those distractions. And usually I teach my clients that if you've added a distraction, you keep your distance between you and your dog really, really low. And then vice versa. If you've added more distance, you keep your distractions really low. so You're only working on one at a time. Like Kayla pointed out earlier. Any thoughts about distance, Kayla?
1: Um, no, I think you did a pretty darn good job of covering it. Um, Why, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I really don't have all that much to add. And I love the point of, yeah, there's – and again, sometimes we just can't control um, – distractions in the environment Mm -hmm. you did not plan on that dead fish being there so you know all of a sudden that 20 feet was that didn't count as a 20 feet basic recall anymore that was a 20 foot recall with a fish
0: yeah with Um, a dead fish
1: (laughs) with a dead fish in a landlocked
0: state so i'm just kidding
1: yeah Um, (laughs) that's a little weird yeah yeah no i think that's that's a really good point so to recap um Some of the things we want you guys to consider when you're either splitting or helping teach your dog to generalize a new skill are whether or not your dog is warmed up, um, what location you're training in, what the duration is that you're asking your dog to complete, what the distraction level is and whether or not you've hit these distractions before, Um, And then how far the distance. So either how far you are from your dog or how far your dog is from the distraction or both. Um, Keeping in mind that the further your dog is from you and the closer your dog is to the distraction, um, both make things harder.
0: Awesome. So I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And you can find me online at pauseandreward.com.
1: And I'm Kayla Fratt, owner of Journey Dog Training in Missoula, Montana, and offering courses online. You can find me at journeydogtraining.com. Before we go, make sure that you guys subscribe to the Canine Conversations podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com, which is canine all spelled out. We would love to hear from you. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Edie at beherd.org.uk, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys.